0: The Jewish views on the Chief Rabbi's comments in light of the Orlando nightclub attack. Rabbi Mervis says communities need to embrace gay Jews. 21st century Jew comedian and songwriter Daniel Kana tells us about his debut show at JW3 and the power of music, how different faiths are coming together all in the name of song.
1: First, with a roundup of the Jewish News this week, I'm Vivian Krieger. The broadcaster and Liberal MP Sir Clement Freud, who died in 2009, has been accused of abusing two girls between the late 1940s and 1970s. One, Sylvia Woosley, first met Freud when she was 10 and later went to live with him and his wife after her mother's marriage broke down. She said he molested her over several years. A second woman, who wants to remain anonymous, alleged that Freud abused her as a child and raped her when she was 18. Freud, who was the grandson of psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud and brother of the artist Lucian, was born to German-Jewish parents, though in later years he called himself an Anglican. The former London Mayor Ken Livingstone has told a parliamentary inquiry that he isn't anti-Semitic and that he stood by his claims that Hitler supported Zionism. Mr Livingstone said he expected the review set up under Shami Chakrabarti to investigate allegations of anti-Semitism within Labour will find that it wasn't a problem inherent to the party. But the President of the Board of Deputies of British Jews, Jonathan Arkush, told the Commons Home Affairs Select Committee that Labour's shift to the left under Jeremy Corbyn had emboldened anti-Semites on the far left to voice their prejudices. At least three swastikas have been daubed in a playground in Stamford Hill. The Board of Deputies' Vice President said it was an act of racism intended to spread fear and alarm and that it was hoped the perpetrators would be apprehended. Israel's president and prime minister have sent their condolences to the United States and paid tribute to the 49 victims of the shooting massacre in Florida last weekend. In Jerusalem's Zion Square, a crowd gathered holding signs and flags in support of the victims, who were killed inside a gay nightclub in Orlando by Omar Martin, who was American-born but of Afghan descent. And finally, the new London Mayor Sadiq Khan has heaped praise on Neil Martin, the chief executive of the Jewish Lads and Girls Brigade, who's been awarded an OBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours List for services to young people and interfaith relations. An OBE also went to theatre producer Sonia Friedman, and an MBE was awarded to Anita Lasker-Wolfish, who survived Auschwitz by playing the cello in the Women's Orchestra. That's the news, now the sport, with Andrew Sherwood.
2: Thanks, Vivian. Israeli Olympic chiefs have this week confirmed they will send the country's largest ever delegation of athletes to this summer's Rio Games, despite ongoing fears over the Zika virus, which has led to calls for the event to be relocated or postponed. Dr. Lubov Galitashka, the Israeli Olympic team physician, told Jewish News none of the athletes or staff members are considering cancelling their participation over health fears. Elsewhere, Israeli racing driver Alon Day claimed his first win on British soil after winning the Elite Division One at the NASCAR Euro Series at Brands Hatch. It was a 24-year-old's second win of the season and fifth of his NASCAR career. And finally, Maccabi Tel Aviv star midfielder Aaron Zahavi is set to secure a lucrative move to the Chinese Football Super League. The 28-year-old is set to earn an estimated £17.7 million over the next two and a half years, as well as a signing bonus in the region of £7 million. You can read the full interview with the Israeli Olympic physician and catch up on all the latest Jewish sport at www.jewishnews.co.uk. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Welcome along
0: to this week's edition of The Jewish Views. I'm Phil Dave. Let's start off, as we always do, with a look through your edition of The Jewish News. Joining me to go through the paper is Features Editor Fran Wolfish and News Editor Justin Cohen. Welcome to you both. Let's start off with the front page, and a rather sensational headline reads, Chief shuls must embrace gay jews this is obviously i suppose in light of what happened in orlando justin but the chief rabbi has been making history this week frankly if your headline is anything to go by
3: yeah a very significant statement from the chief rabbi this week this started of of course uh, at the weekend with the horrific massacre of 49 people in the worst mass shooting in american history leaders around the world benjamin netanyahu Reuven rivlin in israel but also community leaders across the religious spectrum here in the uk have expressed their revulsion including the chief rabbi when we first saw his statement, it has to be said, we there were a few eyebrows raised in the office because as well as expressing his complete revulsion and his, and his feeling that any feelings of homophobia, which he says still do exist within the Jewish community here, are unacceptable, he also put in a mention of the fact, a uh, reiteration of the fact, that within the Torah, within orthodoxy, homosexual acts, homosexual intimacy, as he put it, are not allowed. And that obviously, in in a statement that was about Orlando and that was condemning Orlando in the strongest possible terms, did raise a few eyebrows. But if you look at this more deeply, I think it's the most significant statement from a chief rabbi on this issue, because he did so in the context of talking about how, despite that being the fact and the long-standing fact within orthodoxy, it's uh, absolutely important, absolutely crucial, that Jewish communities, synagogues across the religious spectrum, including those under his own auspices, welcome and embrace gay Jews and do more to do so. There are certain communities that, that are perhaps acting upon that already, but there are, there's a lot more that could be done. And he points that out in very clear terms. And so I think this has been extremely well received. I have to say, if the Chief Rabbi's Facebook page uh, is anything to go by, I think more than 600 likes on that statement. And I think probably more than he's ever received on anything he's, he's uttered before. Well, the Jewish news
0: has certainly put their point of view across as well with a rather attractive looking rainbow banner behind the title of the front page. If we turn into the paper, though, and we have a look at well, something that sort of follows on from last week because the birthday honours were obviously revealed last week. And there are several members of our very own community who have fared rather well. Who is on the birthday honours list from Her Majesty the Queen?
3: Yeah, I have to say this wasn't uh, a list with the same number of Jewish high-profile names as we would normally have actually on on a birthday honours list or a New Year's honours list. But I think a couple of people did uh, really stand out. Anita Lasker-Wolfish in particular received an MBE, a Holocaust survivor who has gone round schools in Germany, in Austria uh, and in the UK to educate uh, young children about uh, her experiences and, and the lessons of the Holocaust. Neil Martin as well, he picked up an OBE and I think, although I have to say I I'd had a conversation with him only about a month ago after he helped to organise the Yom HaShoah commemoration that brought thousands to Coptal stadium i joke that you know it can't be long now before he's honored i have to say i didn't expect necessarily him to go straight to an obe it's quite unusual for someone of that age 37 years old despite having headed jlgb i think for 11 years now done a lot of great things within the world of interfaith as well leader of the interfaith youth council but to have gone to, straight to an OB is quite an incredible achievement and absolutely deserving. But I think it's fantastic to see him on that list and, and at that level.
4: Fran, there are going to be people who want to know. Wolfish any relation to you? Do you know, I've been asked this question before. The answer is no, not that I'm aware of. Um, obviously, it's my husband's family name rather than my own. But as far as we can tell, and and as far as we've been able to trace back, I believe Anita Lasker-Wolfischer's family came from Austria, whereas my husband's family came from Poland. So, sadly not, not that we know of, but perhaps there is, who knows.
0: You see, we put all of the arguments to bed on this program. Now, speaking of arguments to bed, there is one in particular that of course will affect us all regardless of the outcome. I am of course talking about the EU referendum that does take place this week. And there was a debate held in association with JTV, the online Jewish TV channel and the Jewish News that also features in the paper. Tell us, how did that go, Justin? because you were there, weren't you?
3: Yeah, no, we were delighted to be able to host this uh, Brexitus debate, as we called it, featuring uh, the Education Secretary, Nicky Morgan, uh, and UKIP's only MP, Douglas Carswell. And and what really is quite clear at this point, just a week or less now, between now and the uh, referendum, uh, this is completely dominating the political scene. There's really nothing else in Westminster being spoken about. I think what's been interesting about this campaign is that the same issues have been used um, by one side, by the Leave side, as have been used by the Remain camp. In particular, the economy is seen as an issue that can be an advantage to both sides. The same can be said for a few of the Jewish issues that are being discussed around this campaign. And obviously, we we realise that these issues I suspect won't play uh, a major part in many people's decisions, but they are a factor. In particular, shahita has been used by advocates of uh, religious slaughter within Europe, both for and against they can kind of see an advantage in whatever the outcome of this referendum and that was a point that was raised by douglas carswell during the campaign he said that as things stand that that decision about the of Shakita remains in the hands of faceless bureaucrats in brussels for nikki morgan however she pointed out that there's absolutely a guarantee from the British government that Shahita will be safeguarded. And she says that even if there is a move within Europe, while Britain is still in Europe, that, that this country would hold a veto on that matter. And I think it's, it's been interesting how the same issues are used by both sides. It is. And I'm guessing that the entire debate will be available
0: online in due course. So you can go to the JTV channel and see for yourself exactly what happened. Luckily there is also some lighter news going on as well. And Fran, that's where you come in. So just in case anyone thinks that you've been a bit quiet, but <laughs> it's because that you've got a nice big story to talk about in the form of David Beckham. He's been making a rather impressive appearance at JW3. Now, some might ask why.
4: Just before we get into that, I have to apologize to my uh, learned colleague to the left, Justin, because unfortunately he wasn't able to go. Someone had to step in and take the ticket. I so, see that must
0: have been torturous. for. You. It
4: was so awful, Phil, but I got over it very quickly and I hot footed it down to JW3 on Tuesday night.
0: She's so selfless. It's incredible.
4: <laughs> I know. I, I'll do anything for this paper and for my colleagues.
0: It's, that's, um, that's really, really good of you, Fran. I was and very I think professional. that all of the Views listeners really commend mm. your, your you. comradeship and well done.
4: It, it was it was tough, but someone had to watch David Beckham in the flesh at JW3, and he was speaking about all the charity work he has done for UNICEF. You know, people probably think, oh, you know, he's got millions and millions and millions of pounds. He really is actually one of the most successful, one of the most marketable footballers this country has seen. He could have just retired and lounged, and you know, just enjoyed all that amazing amount of money but he but he didn't what drives him now and that's what he really spoke about is the work that he does for unicef i mean someone actually asked him would he consider stepping into the breach if if that happened, and become the manager or the England manager. And he said, not right now. That's not his focus. His focus really is this charity work, which he's so passionate about. Since being an ambassador since 2005, he's visited Sierra Leone, Cambodia, Papua New Guinea, Philippines. He actually shared a really emotional story with the audience about meeting a family whose lives were basically torn apart by the terrible typhoon that they experience there he recently returned from swaziland where he's been helping children who've been orphaned by aids so he really is putting you know he's putting his words into actions he's actually going out there and helping he also touched upon his jewish roots his maternal grandfather was jewish and that was nice obviously for everyone to hear and David Beckham, I think, was, you know, was a great sort of round off to the amazing Alan Howard Foundation JW3 speaker series, which they've had there all year. They also announced that in November they'll be bringing along David Millerband and later in the year or early next year, should I say, former Prime Minister Tony Blair. So they've already got some great speakers lined up for the new season.
0: Indeed. Well, it does sound like they've got some very impressive names coming up at JW3. And I'm sure that we will keep you posted on all of their appearances as and when they happen. Now, just to finish this week's paper review, Fran, perhaps you could answer me the following question. Just how Jewish is Poland?
4: Right. Well, Poland, (laughs) yes. Well, there's a fantastic film which had its UK premiere at the Phoenix in East Finchley. And it's now available to download on demand as well. So if you didn't get down there, never mind, you can still see it online. It's called A Town Called Jostik. I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I think I am. It's a very powerful documentary about uh, one man, Jonathan Weber, who turned up in this tiny town (laughs) in Poland. And he came across a field which it was untouched all the grass was completely overgrown it was all fenced off as it turned out it was actually the site of a jewish cemetery and the polish community had left it alone because obviously it was holy ground but also there was nothing there suggesting that it had once been a jewish cemetery and this documentary follows his efforts to basically get the cemetery reconsecrated he put out a plea to the town the 600-strong town and asked them to try and find some of the missing gravestones which had been sadly taken away after the war when there was obviously a, a shortage of building materials. Remarkably 70 stones were found under roads and building works etc and they were able to put the stones back into the cemetery which the town and the entire town really got behind it and they are looking after it and they're educating in their schools now about the holocaust and you know it's, it's just an amazing story of Jews returning to Poland and feeling some connection again really after the second world war and also the Poles You know, it's it's kind of a a moving story of reconciliation as well of poles coming to terms with what happened during the Second World War and getting back in touch with the Jewish history that once flourished there. You know, there's um, many people who contribute to the documentary, and I think someone said, you know, it basically created this massive hole for eight hundred years the Jews made up quite a large proportion of the Polish population. And suddenly after the Second World War, they just didn't exist. They just weren't there anymore. So it's, yeah, it's a very powerful documentary. It's well worth a watch. And you can also read the interview with director Simon Target in this week's paper.
0: Don't forget, you can pick up your copy of the Jewish News every Thursday across London, or you can read the e-version at jewishnews.co.uk. You're listening to The Jewish Views now. As you've just been hearing, Chief Rabbi Ephraim Mervis has called on synagogues under his auspices to do more to open their hearts to gay community members in the wake of the attack on a Florida nightclub. It's a sensational statement from Rabbi Mervis that, of course, goes against what many would say are religious teachings – to discuss this more and to give his reaction to the comments I'm delighted to say that Jack Gilbert the former chair of Jewish Gay and Lesbian Helpline and also who currently runs a GLBT charity in East London joins me on the line now Jack I suppose we have to start off with the initial question of how do you react to what Chief Rabbi has said?
5: Well first of all I welcome what he's said let me also place it in some context it's not quite as radical as You might think, twenty in 1991, the previous chief rabbi banned the Jewish Lesbian Gay Helpline from a walk for charity on the basis that it was a family event. But that was really the starting point for breaking the taboo in the Jewish community. And over the 90s, we made a number of important steps forward. The Jewish Lesbian Gay Helpline joined the Central Council of Jewish Community Services. Association for Jewish Youth welcomed an overtly LGBT Jewish youth group called Hinenu. And the chief rabbi also shifted his position and accepted that there was a distinction between dealing with hatred and dealing with questions of personal conduct. And indeed, by the end of the decade, the chief rabbi then, Jonathan Sachs, said explicitly that homophobia and transphobia were, were themselves sinful. And indeed, when he retired, uh, when he was retiring, he did an interview with David Frost covered in the Jewish News in which he used very similar language to Rabbi Mervis, talking about the need to really address these exclusions. So I really welcome this because it's Rabbi Mervis's first time saying this, but it isn't a revolution. It's something that has evolved over 20, 25 years. And although it's very good that he's now saying this, There are some concerns, too.
0: Okay, so perhaps you'd share some of
5: those concerns with us. Right. Well, first of all, as I say, it's really good that he said this. It's very good that he stated very clearly that homophobia is absolutely unacceptable from an orthodox perspective. I think where we have to be very clear is to draw the distinction between dealing with issues of prejudice, discrimination and hatred and issues of personal conduct. You know, I'm not expecting the orthodox theology around whether two men should sleep with each other to change. But what I am concerned about seeing a change on is the rhetoric that's employed in general and the way in which people feel included. You know, how many members of United Synagogue drive to synagogue, park the car around the corner and then walk in? And how many of them are made to feel ashamed for doing so during the course of the service the answer is no one is made ashamed to to do so because that's just part of the custom and practice no one knows it's wrong but no one feels like they're being prejudiced against for doing it
0: so are you saying, saying that members of the jewish gay community perhaps do feel prejudice against and they do feel it and i think
5: it's not just them it's their parents and it's their other family members. So what's really important is that I think this is a very important statement by a new chief rabbi, and I think it's very important that he then deals with this in a very expeditious fashion. So what should happen is working with Keshet UK, which is the advocacy organisation which is at work now, whereas the helpline was at work in the 90s, and they working with them and others to consider what it means to be welcoming. It doesn't mean you have to change your theological position. In fact, you shouldn't even be talking about that. In the same way as you wouldn't tell someone who's come to shul, you shouldn't come to shul because you're driving. Of course, we know that's what the real position is. Everyone understands what the laws of Shabbat are, but no one actually expects to be made ashamed of coming to shul. And I think the same applies. For example, if you're going to welcome, if someone who's openly gay can come to synagogue, what kind of membership do you offer them and their family. If you're welcoming somebody's synagogue, what are the protocols should their partner die? All these things about burial, everything else, need to be discussed and understood and agreed. So it's not just a... It's a very nice sentiment. I'm not decrying the sentiment at all. But I do think he doesn't need to reference the teaching about about sexual ethics when dealing with hatred because they're separate. And I also think that the next step would be to look very practically at what it means to welcome people and deal with them equally without having to change theology. Okay, but Jack,
0: you do have to, I suppose, to some degree, understand and maybe, dare I say, appreciate that there are some people who are obviously very traditional in their way of thinking. Of course. and, And that they have they've only ever been taught one particular route no, no, and no, that no, is no. of course Adam and Eve not Adam and Adam can right, but, can you understand right. that there are some people who've only ever been taught one way and maybe they struggle to comprehend these changes after all human instinct would say that change is not necessarily a good thing even though maybe in this context it is
5: let me just say that I think that With the benefit of being in my middle age and having gone, when I came out, I was the first elected person in the Jewish community to come out. I was the uh, Jewish Education Officer for Union of Jewish Students responsible for Orthodox chaplains at the time in the mid 80s. There wasn't anyone else in an elected position who was openly LGBT. And I can tell you that we live in a world where where wonderful things happen. You know, there's for those who haven't read it, there's a great story in the Washington Post about an Orthodox, modern Orthodox synagogue who decided to show their solidarity in Washington D.C. by going to visit a gay bar on the straight after Shavuot closed on Monday, and the whole interaction is told in the Washington Post. You can Google it, and it is the most moving story. There are many aspects of contemporary experience and contemporary. The kinds of people who target Jews are often people who target gays. So there are many points at which we can have common ideas. And I certainly in my life have always believed in taking people on a journey. You know, you meet people who are ignorant and who you can help to change their perspectives by just human interaction. And you meet people who are prejudiced, who for whom it's not a rational issue, it's just a prejudice. And you always, as we, as we do with Jews and anti-Semitism, one tries to move people forward. I understand that there will be many people in the in the Orthodox world in the United synagogue too who will be unhappy. but I also know many people in the in the lay leadership of the United synagogue that I have known for decades personally, and I can tell you that they wouldn't be unhappy and the truth is that you know we live in a changed world. we understand what real hatred is and we understand what real evil is and what and it 's also not just a matter of hatred. It's about pikuot nefesh. You know, people die, people hurt themselves, people kill themselves because of the way they have been treated by their communities. We know that happens. So this is a matter of pikuot nefesh. And it's absolutely clear that when it comes to pikuot nefesh, then really you should be considering all of your own prejudices first. Jack
0: Gilbert, former chair of Jewish Gay and Lesbian Helpline and who runs a GLBT charity in East London. Thank you so much for speaking to us. You're listening to The Jewish Views in association with The Jewish News. Still to come on this edition, Clive Roslin will be here for our Jewish schmooze. Today, Clive is joined by actor and photographer Tony Honigberg, founder of Mitzvah Day, Laura Marks, and Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence from Kinloss United Synagogue. They'll be discussing Rabbi Merv's comments in light of the Florida attack. Plus, Diana Toman will be speaking to Ellie Tamir from the Mixed Up Chorus about using music to unite different faiths. Now, it's hard to believe that comedian and songwriter Daniel Kaner has yet to perform at JW3. Luckily, he is about to rectify this on Wednesday, the 29th of June. He'll be performing his show 21st Century Jew and entertainment and culture reporter Kate Fulton has been to find out more about it from the man himself. She started by asking Daniel, how would he describe what he does?
6: Well, I have found this little sort of niche, a shtick, if you like, of uh, I write stories in song about the Jewish world and my experiences of being Jewish in that world, both in the Jewish world, actually, and also being sort of outside, kind of torn between the two, not quite sure where I belong, like a sort of wandering Jew. And I sort of make comments about what I see. And I do a lot of stories about my family as well. And these are all kind of quite... They're in a long-form song format, which is quite unusual, and that's how I tell stories and uh, make my observations within these stories and these kind of long songs.
7: So it's really about your life and about your experiences that yes. you put to music.
6: It's entirely about that. I mean, a heart I'm effectively a sort of singer-songwriter is what it is it's kind of a slightly glorified in the sense that it's a bit more theatrical than that. But yes, and that's what the what I basically write from my heart. In fact, the process of writing really starts ironically with a sort of a bit of a prayer, like what if what what, what do you want me to write to some whatever that thing is that we might call that. And this is what sort of tumbles out are these stories, you know, largely about quite a lot of family history. And more recently with this new work, uh, which is in the newest show called 21st Century Jew, more sort of current observations about how I feel about the Jewish world. And I have found, well, the old adage about writing what you know, being more personal, actually, there's not to be scared of it, because in fact, the more personal you are surprisingly if if you're good at it, the more universal you are
7: and presumably the more authentic you sound
6: well I think authenticity is is the most important part of it, and I think that it, you know sometimes I get a bit surprised and when I get described as being a comedian because I happen to do stuff that is a bit funny, but largely it's it's i call, I call them serious songs that happen to be funny, but really it's about it, the sort of expression feeling and uh, you know I have a sense of humor and that comes out too
7: and you're saying you're talking about things that happened in your life what was your what what was your background
6: well my background was we were brought up as a sort of relatively from traditional family in we lived just near long Ditton, just outside sort of near kingston southwest suburb southwest london my parents were actually both from the north and they ran away from their parents and ended up there so we were brought up in that sort of very regular sort of ordinary we'd We'd do Kiddush on a Friday night, we'd go to Shul on Shabbos, we would, we would do all those things. We wouldn't work, we wouldn't, we wouldn't drive, obviously, on Shabbos, apart from to go to Shul, of course. And then, uh, well, that's what, so that's what we did. We, we were a traditional Jewish family, as my, as my father's side had been, uh, though my mother was from a Reform Jewish background.
7: And you have a twin brother and you you recently lost lost a brother. Tell us about him.
6: Well, Jonathan, who was always a bit of a rebel, that's my older brother, he was three years, three months and uh, ten days older, not that I'm counting. And he, yes, always was a bit, he was, you know, he was certainly eccentric, he was a bit of a one-off. And... To cut a very long story short, he became or invented himself as this astrologer, and he became probably the most, certainly the best loved and one of the most successful astrologers in the world. And uh, we lost him just uh, about a month ago.
7: That must have been very difficult for it you.
6: It was. Uh, it was a bit surprising. Yes, actually. And um, still reeling from the shock of that. And there's been an awful lot to do, really, interest trying to sort of sort out. I mean, because it wasn't just that he was you know, a maverick operating on his own because he there was a business to the astrology and there were plenty of employees and what have you. So all they, those have to be sort of dealt with, the repercussions of that. But as it happens, he was, for better or for worse... As a kind of retirement plan, he was training up my son, Oscar, and Oscar has now he's taken on the role, although not quite in the circumstances that he had imagined.
7: Is it lonely performing on your own and writing on your own? And how do you how do you kind of draw from other people?
6: Well, I don't find the performing part of it lonely. I find the afterwards part lonely. Writing, yes, it is. It's intense. Actually, I really hate the process of writing. Um, I write. I like having written, but I really don't like the actual doing of it, apart from the occasional moments of, aha, oh, that's good, or that's terrible. Uh, you know, and in fact, if you like the process of writing, as anybody that has to creatively produce something will know, whether it even be a, some kind of legal report or who cares what, but it's a constant battle between, is that any good? Is it, Oh, that area is good. No, it isn't. Oh, uh, you know, proofing yourself, the inner critic. Well, we could go on for hours about, about that. But ultimately, what comes out in the end... Is something that I generally am. Well, I'm I'm pleased with when eventually it I end up playing it and it falls. One of the difficult things about writing things that are funny, of course, is that you don't really know what's going to happen until you actually play it and you see, actually, how things land. One of that's one of the problems actually when you're doing recording material is that you tend to record it fairly soon after you've written it, and then after a number of plays out in the world you have a much better idea about how to perform it and of course you've already done the recording and so that's set in stone.
7: You mentioned the show that's coming up yes. which
6: I want to talk to you about obviously.
7: What's that all about and where is it and tell us a bit about the show
6: itself. What well the it? show is co- is what I did for I wrote it for the Edinburgh Fringe last year and it is a, a, sort of a version of that, and that was under the title 21st Century Jew. So it was a kind of follow-on from my previous incarnations of the shows, which we started, the original one was called Jewish Chronicles, actually, which I had to change for the, I thought was rather funny, but I changed it for the American market because they didn't get the joke. So uh, we had to change it to gefilte, Fish and Chips for the American market because they understood that. That was more, in that in that show, it was more personal stories and more family stories this one has still got quite a lot of those in new ones but also a few more sort of more political observations if no, I say political I don't I'm not really a political animal but certainly observations about the Jewish world a little bit I do a piece about marrying out for example which I think is a fairly a current hot topic I even mention the thorny subject of dare we say it Israel but only from uh, as, a, as a view from the radical middle
7: and how do they take it in Edinburgh
6: there are issues about that. I mean, hopefully this won't be a problem at uh, JW3. You have a
7: friendly audience uh, there, Al.
6: Uh, well, yes. Bet. Uh, so, that, so, so that's this show I'll be doing at JW3 on on June the 29th. But. We did this in in Edinburgh. I play. Maybe I get you know fifty percent Jewish audience. Sometimes it's a, it's more than that. But most of the time, it's mostly non-Jewish people. But obviously, they're all those that actually come into the show are reasonably well disposed towards the. Subject. So you're not
7: getting heckled.
6: No, I've, that's not really happened. But we've got heckled. I've been heckled outside. And in fact, the year before last in Edinburgh, there it was during the um, Gaza. Incursion, and if that's the right or the wrong word, and there was an awful lot of protest going on out there. In fact, you know, just my posters were defaced, and there was lots of, uh, in fact, th- th- it was largely to do with the it's a separate issue but there was a, another show in my particular venue in, in Edinburgh which was uh, being boycotted because it was funded by the Israeli Arts Council or equivalent of so there was a lot of fuss about that. Eventually that actually got called off. So there was huge amounts of protest going on outside and it was very difficult for people trying to get into my show, trying to get and ant- to others, passing through uh, you know a very uh, irate crowd let us say. And in Edinburgh the, the sort of pro-Palestinian lobby is extremely well sort of motivated and uh, you know, it's really, it's and quite powerful.
7: Is your show at JW3 f- a family show?
6: Yeah, I, not I mean, blue. <laughs> no, it's not. A, no, I don't do. I don't, I don't do, do blue. blue. In fact, funnily enough, I had a little encounter with Jackie Mason just recently in New York, and he asked me the same, same question. Actually, did I use um, cuss words? He said, and then proceeded to use one. T- to me <laughs> which is we're, we're, and that 's actually a song i 'm in the middle of writing. I should be talking about my rather interesting encounter with Jackie Mason in New York in that, but no there 's none of that i mean there 's a couple of, of of stories that you know talk about adult behavior, if you like, but most of that goes over small children 's heads, and in fact' it 's a, it's a show about family, of course it 's doing what families do so i wouldn 't it 's not for toddlers. But there's nothing too offensive in it. There is, you know, I, it depends. I might do the one about the rabbi uh, that had a bit of a narcotics habit or I might not.
7: <laughs> Wait and see. If we want to get tickets, how do we do that?
6: Well, I think you just go to the JW3 website or ring them up and they will be very happy to supply you with as many as you want.
0: Comedian and songwriter Daniel Kaner talking to Kate Fulton there about his forthcoming performance at JW3, 21st Century Jew. For tickets, you can go, as Daniel has just said, to the JW3 website, which is jw3.org.uk. If you would like to get involved, we would love to hear your Jewish views. You can email studio at jewishviews.co.uk or you can contact us via social media. Find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com forward slash jewishviews or on Twitter. We are at jewishviewsuk. Now, there are many initiatives to bring people from all different faiths together. All of them do their best to find common ground, but one particular organisation uses song as that very tool. The Three Faiths Forums Mixed Up Chorus is a choir consisting of people from different faiths and of different ages. They'll be doing a tour of different religious buildings on Sunday the 19th of June, and community reporter Diana Toman has been finding out more for us by speaking to one of the members Ellie Tamir. She started by asking Ellie, where did the name of the choir come from and when did it start?
8: So we're nearly coming up to our three-year anniversary, which will be in September. And that was a process of lots of different people feeding in. We wanted a name that felt very inclusive and a way of bringing people of all different backgrounds and ages together through song. So the mixed-up chorus felt like a very appropriate name.
1: It does indeed. And whose idea was it? Or was it a sort of corporate idea from all of
2: you?
8: This was an idea that emerged from 3FF, um, which is an intercultural charity that builds relationships across with people across different backgrounds and faiths and beliefs and non-religious beliefs too. Um, So it was an initiative that came out of 3FF with people from the team and our musical director Jeremy Hanneman and my colleague Holly Jones.
1: Has it got anything to do with Israel?
8: There are people there who identify themselves as Israeli and we do sing songs in Hebrew but we sing songs across all different traditions
1: and backgrounds. I was going to ask you that. So are they particularly religious songs?
8: We sing a mix of religious songs and cultural songs too. Examples are we've sung the South African National Anthem. Yes. This term we're singing Hine Matov. We've sung songs, Sufi melodies. We've sung Norwegian wedding songs. So we really sing a broad range of music across different cultures and traditions and across different genres as well.
1: What do you mean by that?
8: We've sung a bit of Bach. We've also sung some musical theatre. We've sung some... African spiritual songs as well, so it's a real blended mix.
1: And and have the people who've been singing and taking part had scores in front of them, or do they know all these songs off by heart?
8: We have some songs which we just learn through ear, but other songs we do read read the music. So it sounds as if there's a certain amount of preparation. There is. We do we do rehearse every Tuesday evening at our offices in Kentish Town, and then we prepare for performances.
1: Right. And talking of which... There is something coming up on the 19th, Sunday the 19th?
8: There is indeed. Tell Um, me about that. This is our first fundraiser event. So members of, of our choir, of the fundraising committee, have put on an event called Sing, Walk and Talk with the Mixed Up Chorus with the whole motto that there are no wrong notes and if we sing next to each other, we can live well next to each other. It's precisely about uniting people across different backgrounds, through music and through song, and that's what we intend on doing. So on Sunday the 19th of June, from 1130 to 4pm, the choir is inviting the local community to get involved and join us in our mission of singing, walking and talking. So we will be starting at St Mary's Church in Primrose Hill, performing to the congregation there at 11.30am, And then we'll be walking our way across Primrose Hill and Regent's Park to the Liberal Jewish Synagogue. So I should say the church is in Primrose Hill, Ellsworthy Road, and the Liberal Jewish Synagogue is on St John's Wood number 28, where there will be an interactive singing workshop led by our talented musical director, Jeremy Hanneman, which is welcome to everyone, to everyone to get involved. And then we will be walking and talking to the London Central Mosque, which is just a 10-minute walk away. That's the one in Regent's Park. That is the one in Regent's Park. So we'll be singing, we'll be walking and we'll be touring around in these different places of worship.
1: And you're also, I think, I suspect that the idea of this is to raise funds.
8: Yes, um, the idea of this is to raise, raise funds for the choir, for the development of the choir, so that we can carry on in our mission of reaching wider audiences in this message of uniting people.
1: Right. And participants how do they join for instance or or do they have to pay a fee
8: no we're we're inviting people on the day to come along they can come along to any one of these venues or join us for the whole day the way they can find out more is by looking on our website three double f dot org dot uk Forward slash sing walk talk. So we're inviting people to look on that website, to find out more about the event, to come along, bring your friends, bring your networks. Let's build a community together. And as this is a fundraiser, we also are, we would really appreciate as much of donations and support as possible.
0: Ellie Tamir speaking to community reporter Diana Toman there. And if you would like more information, then you can always go, as Ellie has just said, to their website, which is 3 fforg
9: You're listening to The Jewish Views. This is The Jewish Schmooze, the part of the show where studio guests join me, Clive Roslin, to discuss matters that you've been hearing throughout the programme so far. And joining me today is actor and photographer Tony Honigberg, founder of Mitzvah Day, Laura Marks, and Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence from Kinloss United Synagogue. The subject is based on what we heard A little earlier on, Chief Rabbi Ephraim Mervis has called on synagogues under his auspices to do more to open their hearts to gay community members in the wake of the attack on the Florida nightclub. So we thought that we would discuss how the community should respond to his comments, not just in conversation, but in action as well. Now, Rabbi Lawrence, you are, of course, the Rabbi of Kinlos, Rabbi Mervis Old Synagogue, how do you react to what he says and should your community be more tolerant?
10: I welcome his remarks. I think they were timely, appropriate. It is terrible that hate crimes are perpetrated within our world and the Jewish community sometimes does not respond and recognise the nature of the hate crime. Specifically in this issue, the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender community have every reason to be fearful that religious bigotry and bigotry within the Jewish community might be unsympathetic to them and marginalize them. So it is apposite that immediately after this attack and we don't know exactly why this club was was chosen but immediately after this attack the chief rabbi made his remarks and made them so strongly i think it's very important too that within the jewish world where sexuality is definitely a torah topic and the way we conduct ourselves and regulate our family lives is instructed and regulated by the Torah that however religious and however Torah true we try to live our lives, we should be encouraged to expunge from our thoughts any smattering of homophobia, intolerance against people on the basis of their orientation.
9: It's interesting you should say that, of course, because I was talking to a a gay, a gay Jewish man the other day who said he still feels tremendously worried every time he goes into his synagogue because he knows that he he is quite open about his sexuality he knows that he is going to be treated rather differently from the other members of the community in fact one man once said to him do you re- have you really got the right to make a minion and uh, that seemed- so I
10: think that's shameful I, I think it's, I, I think it's shameful on two sides number one it's shameful that anybody who is Jewish should feel afraid or alienated stepping into a synagogue. And I think it's shameful that anybody would make such a remark.
9: Laura, what do you think?
11: Well, I watched the coverage of the attack on the club and I have children who are that sort of age. My my kids are 18, 20 and 22. And they go out clubbing and they go out and enjoy themselves. And I think... I felt very much like those kids could be mine, and they could be any of our kids. Mm-hmm. And there's something very just ultimately wicked about shooting young people in their prime, just as they're starting their lives, for no other reason that they are that they are gay. And um, Rabbi, you say that we don't know why they attacked them. We don't know because obviously the perpetrator didn't survive, but we can assume that he had a thing about people who are gay. Well, it turns out (laughs) he
9: was gay himself, it seems. He'd been to the club many
12: times before. Yes, he He had been
11: to the club many times before. But Um, was he
12: just... Checking out the club. Or, well, or was he maybe, but it's,
11: it's not a coincidence mm. that so, I, I can't believe that he did it just because it just happened to be the club that he happened to be in. Mm. And even if he did, the fact remains that the kids that he murdered were gay and were lucky enough to be living in a society in America where. Uh, how you choose to lead your life is completely up to you, not on all fronts, obviously, mm. but on that on that issue, you can mm. live your life how you want. And when you think about how far societies come in fifty years on that one, then it's quite incredible. But the other way of looking at it, I think for me is, I know that it's a very short period of time since it was not since it was illegal to be gay. Um, and of course, in those days, it was only gay. Nobody assumed that there was anything other than male he- hmm. homosexuality. Nobody assumed there was anything else out there. But now there's all sorts of different uh, ways to express your sexuality. And I think that this is an evolving thing. You know, When I look at uh, my kids' generation, There's so many different ways in which they express their sexuality. And this sort of binary thing is sort of so old-fashioned in their Mm. eyes, so completely beyond the pale.
9: Sorry, I won't interrupt you, but you're talking about in general. But in fact, uh, I think it was last year, the two Jewish men married each other in a Reform synagogue. Mm. And I remember some people talking about it to me in my Orthodox synagogue, Sephardi synagogue, saying, isn't this disgusting? And that's, I think, what we really want to talk about today, is the Jewish attitude towards it.
11: So that, what we don't know...
12: then, if, mm. the, if someone has said that. They're being intolerant. They're being totally that's... intolerant.
11: But we don't know whether they're intolerant because they're Jewish intolerant, or whether they're just intolerant.
12: Because they're... Well, you mean they could be intolerant for other reasons other than just gay intolerance? That's gay right. they Jewish might
11: intolerant. they might just be prejudiced against gay people. They weren't necessarily coming to it from a Jewish perspective. And I think what's very gratifying is that the Chief Rabbi is saying that we should be tolerant of people. But of course, there's one more stage to go, which is you know within this, it's it's okay to we we need to accept all sorts of people, but nonetheless, the act of homosexual, acts hmm. is still not accepted. Well let me
9: ask Rabbi Lawrence, would you marry two men? So two homosexual men.
10: So I think we need to we need to deconstruct it. I know that's unfortunate because you'd much rather have a, have a sound bite. I think we need to deconstruct it. My capacity to marry people is a capacity to affect a religious ceremony which comes out of the Torah and out of the Talmud and under the wisdom of our sages. And I have no capacity to change that or to make pigs kosher or to make any relationship under the sun a change of relationship. And I certainly don't want to cause offence and suggest that I am suggesting that there is anything porkine about homosexuality. I just don't have the capacity to do such a thing. What I can say for certain is that if I were to have under English civil law two... Jewish people who had been married to Jewish men or to Jewish women who had been married as husband and wife, or however one wants to categorize it, under secular law, I would relate to them in my rabbinic capacity as if they were a married couple. And I would relate to the children that they had parented. Brought into the family, however, as if they were their children, and I would address them as a family. I think one of the challenging areas, because I can't change the marriage, one of the challenging areas which we're trying to address in our schools now, which is oh so important, is that once upon a time in the primary schools, you would have the Shabbos table where you had the Shabbos Abba and the Shabbos Imma, and you would have the Shabbos kids, and they would go off to the rabbi, and it was oh so stereotyped and such a typical family. Even now with the blended families that we have through divorces and remarriages and everything, or families that have had to deal with widowhood, whatever it is, that is an image which is wrong. And increasingly now we are not having that family projection within the schools. Of course, we like the idea of families coming together, having their children and living within the Jewish tradition, but to stereotype and to therefore disenfranchise those children who come from another background, is iniquitous. When I prefaced the Yizkor service on uh, Second Day Shavuot, I prefaced it with remarks saying, we're not quite sure what has motivated this gunman, but Mm -hmm. we need to recognise that it is an affront against all our liberties and certainly an affront to and a crime against the gay community Mm. where the attack took place. I didn't get any negative comments. I might get some, and I might get some after this broadcast, but I didn't get any negative (laughs) comments in shul at the time. I certainly did have members of the congregation acknowledge that they felt gratified that for the first time in shul. They had felt that they or their family members had been acknowledged, and that was an important. Thing that, that's to do. you as
12: a rabbi. What's the? I know the chief rabbi has spoken, but what's the United Synagogue's view on, on two men, two women coming? What, what would the other rabbis do? And I know it's difficult to talk for other people, but you know your your fellow rabbonim within the United Synagogue, I guess. And I, I, I just wonder what their views might I'm be. I mean,
10: no capacity at all to speak for my colleagues. I know I have had many discussions with many of them who are trying to work at, with as great a sensitivity as possible. I know from my own meetings with Keshet that Keshet have met with other rabbinic members within the within the Orthodox clergy, rabbis, and indeed with Rabbitsons and other community leaders. I am not at all surprised now when I hear very understanding views being expressed. At the same time, as the chief rabbi mentions, it's not within our capacity to rewrite halacha, no. or to change these ceremonies and to change these status?
12: No, I, think no, I don't, think I, would, this, uh, I don't I think, think I would want the ceremonies changed but I, I would want the United Synagogue as a whole to have a ruling to say we must and
11: treat, I
10: think, the, I Chief think... We must Rabbi has, the Chief Rabbi has set out. the scene here I think here that over time
11: powerfully. then we are that this argument is going to, I suspect, fly in the face of a tide of change. You know, When you look at how things have changed, as we were saying before, over 50 years, if you look, I don't know, 20, 30, 50 years into the future, the danger will be that gay marriage will be the norm mm. and that those hanging on to the old, old old systems will just be dinosaurs. And at some point, things are going to have to change. And it's also interesting because on so many issues, the faith communities lead the way. On things like social justice and caring for others, all sorts of things, the faith communities are at the forefront of tolerance and inclusiveness and care and generosity. And on this one, it's one of a few issues where there is a danger that the 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 not not only the Jewish community but the faith communities and 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 specifically in our case the Jewish community gets left behind.
12: Do, do you think the attitude of the whole community needs changing? The, the whole concept of it needs changing, not just the United Kingdom, but generally us as as the Jewish community? Do you think our attitude needs changing towards
11: it? Well, I think that within the Jewish community, there's a wide range of views. So I wouldn't say that it's possible to say that. I mean, we have some very progressive in terms of liberal think... Uh, no, it's the wrong word to use. But there are there are people who are very, very comfortable with this issue, and there are people who are very mm-hmm. uncomfortable it's with it. It's
9: interesting, though, isn't it, that earlier in this programme, we, we heard an interview in which a homosexual Jewish man said that many, many of his colleagues and, and fellow homosexuals, as the are putting it, have felt uncomfortable when they've walked into their synagogue, even in this day and age, and even with the tolerance that, that we've been hearing about today. And I don't think you can change that in a couple of days or months or even years.
11: Well, I think you can probably in years. Attitudes do change over time. And this on this issue, attitudes have changed hugely. So when we started the conversation and you were talking about somebody, a, a bigoted man who said, you know, who was sort of disgusted at this gay couple, well, you know, there'll always be some people who are bigoted. Uh, but over time, the tide is moving. And over time, attitudes are changing. And they're changing very rapidly. And we're going to have to go with it. And another thing I would say also is there are a large number of gay rabbis in the progressive movements. I would suspect a disproportionately large number where many of them are people who were grown up orthodox and actually found that they couldn't become rabbis or couldn't be accepted in their traditional communities. And I'm not sort of interested in a fight between the movements at all. That's not my interest. I would just say that somewhere within the community... People need to find their place and need to find their home. And I I just hope that over time, people can find their home in whichever sort of religious denomination they want to find it in.
9: That's a very good good way to end the discussion. And I can only say I, I hope you are right and that one day there will be a time when everybody of any sort will be accepted if they believe in the religion. So there we are. My thanks to our guests, actor and photographer Tony Honigberg, founder of Mitzvah Day, Laura Marx, and particular thanks to Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence. You. Who agreed to take part in this discussion at the very last minute. Thank you. Time now for our rabbinic thought for the week, and this time it comes from Rabbi Stephen Katz from Hendon Reform Synagogue.
13: Judaism is some 4,000 years old. It has lived on every continent, confronted every challenge, addressed every issue from paganism to poverty, idolatry to organ transplantation. Biblical prophets, Talmudic sages, Jewish codifiers and philosophers of the Middle Ages, saintly Hasidic rebbes, iconoclastic reform rabbis at different times in different countries have provided the Jew with responses to a variety of moral, ethical, theological, sociological and political issues. There are books that offer Jewish responses to literally an A to Z of issues. Rabbi Raymond Apple's book, Let's Ask the Rabbi, addresses nearly 200 issues. Some are time old, war, poverty, afterlife. Some are late 20th century, cyrogenics, stem cell research. Some may even send you rushing to a dictionary, xenotransplantation, the transplantation of living cells, tissues, organs from one species to another. The complexity of providing a singular Jewish response to any issue is underlined by the reality that we Jews are a feisty people. Debate, disagreement, dissension is part of our DNA. Elu divrei Elohim chayim. Divergent views in pursuit of truth are seen by the rabbis of the Talmud as the words of the living God. So is there a Jewish view on Brexit? Are we better in or out of the European Union? 2,000 years ago, Hillel counseled Imanli meeli. If I'm not for myself, who will be? When we cast our vote, we must reflect on which option is best for the United Kingdom, which option will best provide us with security, protect our jobs, boost livelihoods for all. But Hillel went on to advise ushanilatsmi mani. If I'm only for myself, what am I? Statistics have been tweaked and twisted distorted by both sides of the debate, so making clarity elusive and certainty out of reach. It would be a distortion of the wealth and weight of Judaism to claim that its wisdom points us either towards an in or out vote. Hillel concluded, if not now, when? When I will be voting on Thursday, June 23rd. I hope you will too.
0: Thank you to Rabbi Stephen Katz from Hendon Reform Synagogue with a very timely thought for the week. And that's all the Jewish views we have time for. Thanks to our guests, Jack Gilbert, Daniel Kainer, Ellie Tamir. Also thanks goes to the Schmooze team, Tony Honigberg, Laura Marks and Rabbi Jeremy Lawrence. And of course, we must thank you at home for listening. And we mustn't forget the team, including our producer, Sue Greenberg can always download the most recent editions of The Jewish Views by visiting the Jewish News website, jewishnews.co.uk, and you can search for us in iTunes. The Jewish Views is brought to you in association with The Jewish News and is part recorded at the Studios of Jewish Care in London. I'm Phil Dave. Do make sure you join us next time here on The Jewish Views. Goodbye.